Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I got you some flowers, as you can see, behind my left shoulder. That's class, man. That's and I hope, class. I hope you like them. I do. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Uh, how are you feeling after the Lions pulled out what may have been the be- biggest win of uh, program history? Just not even really excited. It just feels like business as usual for the boys. No, it's uh, I'm on a high. You know, I'm feeling great about the win. Did you cry? I didn't cry. I was actually more emotional after the uh, the first one, the Packers, no, the Rams, Packers one. Sorry, I just I actually had envisioned in my head that they had already beaten the Packers to go to the Super Bowl. Like that's a very real scenario that had happened when the Packers led that the 49ers. Was, yeah, were you more upset about that loss than you were like a loss during the regular season for the Lions? I would say I was like equally as nervous during Packers 49ers, knowing that the Lions could have a home playoff game <laughs> to get to the Super Bowl <laughs> as I was during the the Bucks game. But uh, no, I was more excited about the the Rams. I feel like the Rams are a better team than the Bucks. Yes, I would I would agree with that. But you you want them both, and now you're heading out to Santa Clara to take on the San Francisco 49ers. And I don't love their chances there, but I I do think hey, you make the NFC Championship as a franchise that sucked for a long time. That's a pretty good step in the right direction. We already got one question coming in. We'll we'll hold it for the for the end of it. Uh, do you think Nakai Meredith and uh, Travell Mullen will be big? contributors to the Detroit Lions in 2027 or I assume they would be they're guys that I've got my eye on yes possible targets yeah you know who I have my eye on who let me let me say instead what I have my eye on three notched beer mm. because three notched beer might just be uh the best beer in all of the valley you can check them out at the valley collab house in Harrisonburg also locations in Roanoke in Richmond Virginia Beach, Charlottesville, and Nelson County. We love Three Notch. We love everything about them. I set you up perfectly right when the scroll stopped. We love about we love their Minuteman Mondays, $3 Minuteman pours on Mondays. Tuesday, I don't need this scroll. Tuesdays, half-off cases at the Valley Collab House. Friday's first tap Friday. New brew every week. How do they do it? We don't know. But they do. So we love Three Notch. We love their beer. We love everything about them. We love their hats. You got a nice one on right now. Yeah, we do. Got this one from the Three Notch Valley Collab House. Also got a dope uh, patch for my jean jacket. That thing is going to be looking electric. It went right alongside my Charlotte curling patch. Uh, The NFL playoffs are here and NBA season is in full swing. Bet Online has you covered with up to the second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information at any time. Head there today to get in on the action and see all of the updated odds. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE. That is our personal promo code, B-L-E-A-V, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And where marriages start, that's with our friends over at Christopher William Jewelers. 
There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and we cave ross or 11 bring some three notch to williamsburg please unfortunately ross we do not have those type of decision making powers within three notch but um we'll let them know if not yeah, drive we'll... up and, and, and go, drive up to uh drive up to what would be the closest one richmond virginia Be- virginia beach right i'm not uh, that familiar with that area graphic uh, you know yeah you know. You're a, you're a business dude. Uh, but no, drive on down, go on Tuesday, get that half off promo. If you Susan, like your fridge on up, that's what I would do. I love that. No, but we have a loaded episode today. Uh, we're going to talk men's basketball, their men's and women's basketball, their perfect four and weekend, uh, where they took down ULM Marshall ODU. And was it Georgia Southern for women's the women beat. ODU in Georgia Southern, right? Georgia Southern. Yes. All right. So I got all four, right? We'll, we'll break all of that down. Uh, and then at around 8 PM, so in about 15 minutes or so, we'll be bringing on Nick Lorenzen from mid major madness uh, to kind of break down the state of the Sun Belt, uh, Talk a little bit about, I, I really want to dive into app state uh, because it seems like they may be the Mountaineers may be the only real threat to a Duke's NCAA tournament berth. So, so we'll break that down with him. We'll talk all things Sun, but we'll talk all thing mid-major basketball with Nick Lorenzen in just a few minutes. And uh, we'll finish this thing up with some football talk because some more football news continues to just trickle on in. And what a perfect uh, background for Bennett. As Bennett freezes, as he changes his background, that is absolutely electric. Oh no, Bennett left us. Uh, so, so we'll start with JMU's weekend uh, against ULM and Marshall. They picked up two big time wins in those games. In the first one, well, the Dukes dominated ULM in 89-70 win. And this is one of the rare cases where a 19-point win, that final score makes it seem a lot closer than it was. The Dukes were electric. Julian Wooden had a career high 31 points. Uh, he could not miss from deep, and all things seemed to be working out offensively just as the Dukes had hoped going into that game against the Warhawks. And then against Marshall, things kind of slowed down a bit for the Dukes. It was a defensive struggle that ended in the Dukes taking home the 67-52 win, and it was really just a gutty defensive effort that led to the Dukes winning that one as Bennett still tries to to come back in on this one really a couple things uh, to kind of hit before we get Bennett back here Michael Green the third still has not hit a three-point three-point shot in the year 2024 which is a bad sign he's 0 of 21 from deep the last time he hit even more than one three was back on December 19th against Coppin State so that wasn't necessarily 
a bright spot against Marshall. Uh, but the bright spot for Michael Green, if there is one right now, after back-to-back games with no assists and a few turnovers in there, he, he got five assists, no turnovers against Marshall. Uh, fun fact in those games, JMU had a win probability in both of them greater than 87.4%. Uh, so the Dukes thoroughly dominated this weekend, and, and it was kind of electric to see. And then over on the women's side, they took down ODU. They took down Georgia Southern. Kind of the big stories from the weekend on Saturday, Heaven Bristow had a career-high 20. She's really starting to find her role within that women's basketball team. And Peyton McDaniel starting to find a rhythm. You don't want to let Peyton McDaniel get hot. 10-plus points in the last five games after she had a big old goose egg against Arkansas State. Over this last five stretch, she has shot 44%, 64 50%, 72 and 33% respectively. So a really good clip for Peyton McDaniel as she starts to find her stride. Uh, we'll go early to some uh, some listener questions, some, some YouTube comments over here as we wait for Bennett. I don't want to go too in-depth into basketball. Oh, I think he's here. I think Bennett's back. I hate StreamYard. I'm out on StreamYard. <laughs> what happened? I can't connect to StreamYard every time now. I don't know why. Everything else on my Wi-Fi works great. Surfing the web, doing whatever I please, except for StreamYard. I'm so sorry. Uh, real quick, before we dive into more men's basketball, Nathan is curious. Will Travell Mullen and Akai Meredith be contributors at all moving forward? For JMU? Yeah, this is actually for JMU. We're back on to, to real talk now. I think um, probably too early to tell at this point. Yeah. I think they'll be in competition more legitly sure. than what they were with Signetti, but who knows? I think Travell Mullen probably has a better chance than Antoine Booth or Nakai Meredith. Yeah, a little, little younger. So I kind of was talking about it. I was kind of rambling endlessly while you were away. That's nice. Uh, but, but JMU, I was going to go, you know, overarching what happened over the weekend for men's and women's. Hit, you know, having Bristow career high, Julian Wooden career high, Peyton McDaniels really found her rhythm. But now that you're back, let's kind of dive a little bit deeper into what ULM and the Marshall games, what that really meant, and kind of your and I guess both of ours kind of reaction to the Duke's first perfect weekend in Sunbelt play. I feel like they're better defensively than they've been at any point in the season. They're starting to play good defense. At the same time, the offense has taken a step back. Some of that, I think, is Terrence Edwards is shooting a lot um, and not making as many maybe as he was early in the season. So he's been a little bit less consistent. Michael Green's been less consistent. Some other guys have been um, less consistent. Bickerstaff, I think, offensively. I don't know if he's – it sounds like he's dealing with illness or something. That needs to be dove into more. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of like info on that. But apparently maybe, he's needing IVs before games. Apparently. That's what we're <laughs> that's what people are saying. So I don't know, but like I think that's that's been a bit of an issue. Um, it's just like several contributors are not playing as well offensively. On the bright side, they have made defensive strides. Yeah, but we talked about this last week on the podcast. This has been kind of an overarching theme with JMU under Mark Byington, at least dating back to the start of last year, where they start to offensively really struggle in conference play. Like they make you believe they they get their efficiency numbers up in Ken Palm a ton in non-conference play. And then once conference play starts, it seems that their 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 offense just hits a wall. 
Yeah, and it's been they've had a few games against the lesser teams where they've scored a ton, but they just just not as consistent. I don't know why. Against against the best teams they've played against this year in Ken Palm, it's Marshall, South Alabama, Louisiana, and App State. I'm I, no, let's yeah. It, I mean, even looking at everyone in the in the Sun Belt, none of them's good. They only scored 68 against Louisiana. They only scored 71 against Southern Miss in a 10-point loss. And then against App, they can only muster 55. And then against Marshall, they can only muster 67. It's like, not, that's not good. It's not great. It's, I don't know why it, I'm getting so upset about it, too. <laughs> You're pissed. It, it's definitely not great. I still think they can figure it out. I think in years past, they had teams that weren't that good offensively. I think this one is a good team that's in a lull. That's a fair point because when you look at it, Bickerstaff has been a shell of himself. Jalen Carey, the freshman coming off the bench, has arguably been more efficient offensively for the Dukes over this last few game stretch. Michael Green is a historically bad 0 for 21 and hasn't hit more than one three in a game since December 19th against Coppin State at home. He's still shooting, though, and eventually those are going to start going in, you would think, but yeah, you get that, and then Terrence Edwards against Marshall struggled. Like, I think he was 0 for 9 or something like that, like 0 for 5 from deep to start that game. In the second half, he started to find that rhythm, but there are times when the shots just aren't falling. We saw it against ULM. In the first eight minutes, the shots weren't falling, and they got down 10 to the Warhawks, the 321st team in Ken Palm. And then you know what happened? They started nailing their threes at an insane clip and they ended up pulling out that win. Yeah, they they went on a nice run in that one and then against Marshall they they kind of controlled most of the game because they played so well defensively. Um up and down game against Marshall that that had a score that didn't reflect that, so like a lot of sloppy basketball and missed shots and all that stuff. It kind of an ugly one to watch to be honest. Yeah, 100%. And that, that was the first time this season that JMU has shot sub 22% and pulled out a win. They were 0 for 2, 0 and 2 prior to that. Dating back to last season, this is just their second win in games of that sort in uh, five, eight attempts. Is that from three? Yeah, 22% from three. I should have said that. Sorry. That's still that's pretty woeful. So, that, I mean, that's the thing that's a little bit concerning. Especially when about. you're a three and D team. A little concerning that they've had so many like bad, like, bad right not just like a little bit of a dip in three-point shooting just like some horrendous shooting performances obviously good the defense is coming around but i've got some concerns i also feel like sometimes they try somewhat um concerns sometimes <laughs> i feel like they really get um like if they're in a lull who somebody will get the ball and they'll be like you know what i'm gonna make a play instead of like running the offense passing the ball and some of that is kind of that the offense is like free-flowing so I don't think it's necessarily that Byington is like, hey, run this play. And they're like, no. I think it's that he gives them a lot of freedom. And sometimes with that freedom, they're like, let's move the ball around. And other times they're like, I'm going to take a step back and get us back in this game. Instead, they're just clanging step backs. Yeah, you want to hear something crazy? Yes. In non-conference play, they shot worse than 30% twice, three times. Yeah. At Michigan State against Radford. And against Coppin State for some reason. In conference play, they're what, four and two now? So in six games, they've shot under 30%. One, two, three, four times. 
five and two now. Five and two. Sorry, but they've done it. So more than half of their conference games. Yeah. they're shooting. At, at Louisiana, they shot twenty-two percent. At Southern Miss, they shot eleven percent. App State, seventeen percent, and Marshall, twenty-one percent. In those games, I bet the person who shot the most threes is going to be one that's like what? Like, you want cons- me to? Let's take a guess. App State. Who do you think shot the most threes against App? I bet it's Edwards. App State. No, it was uh, Xavier Brown, and he went two for five. That's kind of confused, right? That's a little surprising, though. Like he's not—he's <laughs> not the three-point guy. It's not Friedel. But yeah, it's not Friedel. It's not Michael Green. Heck, it's not even Julian Wooden. And maybe more concerning that game, though, is App State's so good at protecting the rim to have your your most most attempts from three from one player be five. You kind of expect somebody might six, seven, eight range. Yeah, but that was the the game plan going into that game. I think that's a terrible game plan. Well, they didn't do the shot fakes. We'll get into the app we'll state see. stuff we'll we'll, Saturday. But. Yeah, well, we're going to get into it uh, in our three notch weekly preview here in a little bit about what to expect in that game. But uh, yeah, I mean, the shooting woes are, are, are have been a big issue. Yeah, who just shoot? What I think, how many did Edwards shoot in this last game? He shot like eight threes. He shot a lot. He shot. A, he shot a lot just in general. Uh, he shot 20 times from the floor, going 7 of 20. Uh, he was 1 for 8 from the three-point line. And uh, as our friends that we met after the App State game, that might be a Terrence Edwards legacy game. So he's 6 of 12 from 2 and 1 of 8 from 3. Like, he's very good getting to the rim, slashing inside. I we just don't like that. There's no, there's no need for him to shoot eight three-pointers in a game. Like, I think that stuff is where Byington has maybe given them too much freedom where it's like, I don't know if guys are playing to their strengths because they have so much freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And to add on to your point about Aaron Edwards being great, going to the rim, he was five for five at the free throw line. Yeah. He's awesome. When he attacks, like get him to the free throw line, maybe slow down the pace of the game a little bit. That might help your three point shooters who might be just gassed from running this frenetic pace. Because I think that might play a little bit of an, into all of this, why why JMU's offense takes a step back a little bit, especially from three in conference play. You heard him talk about it after their road trip against Louisiana and Southern Miss. You kind of hear him talk about it almost every game, about the physicality of this game, about how some belt refs kind of let, let everything happen. I think they just might be tired sometimes. They might just have taken one too many elbows to like the chest and had to have run through one too many screens and you know, three too many defenders to get to their spot. And like, by the time they're ready to spot up, catch and shoot, their legs are just tired. There. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of possible reasons, but it's, uh, it's been tough to tough to watch. And I do think they could hone in a little more. And we've said this in the past on, on what shots they're taking, right? A little shot selection, I think is an issue that they can improve. Yeah. Shot selection is a big one. Just like the Marshall game, when it's like they're taking step backs, when they're they're doing some nice stuff, going to the rim, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Sorry, I'm I'm looking something up on uh, on Twitter as as our friend Nick Lorenzen is getting ready to join. Uh, as we'll talk some Sun Belt action, some mid major stuff, but we're now joined now by Nick Lorenzen. Nick, how are you doing on this? Uh, what is it? What is it? Monday. I'm doing okay. You know, Queens is in a little bit of a losing streak right now, so I'm living 
hour by hour, but <laughs> I, I always love to talk college hoops. I mean, I'm watching some Southland basketball right now. That's pretty much all we have on tonight. Nickel State Incarnate Word. If we're talking mid-major basketball, yeah, that's about all we got on. But uh, I think there's what? Colgate Lehigh? Mm-hmm. Or is that? No, that's men's basketball. And then you got UNC Wake. Hey, Wake's pretty good this year, and UNC's undefeated. Who would have thought? So that's that's where we're going. But yeah, with Queen, shout out Queen, shout out the Royals. Let let's first your role with the Royals. We're talking mid major. I mean, they're (laughs) making the jump up. Where we've all talked about waivers. I don't know if the Royals are necessarily in line for that said waiver, but you guys going through that Division Two to Division One jump. How's your role with the Royals, and how are you liking uh, working with a, a coaching staff the way you are this season? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I didn't think I was going to do it. I I mean, I've been in media for, what, four or five years at this point, so I didn't expect to really hop in the coaching side. I kind of wanted to do it in high school, shied away from it. But, yeah, I mean, I'm doing a lot of video scouting. I'm a, pretty much the assistant director of operations this year. So, I mean, it's a lot of fun. You go out on the road, you visit all these cool venues because – I mean, that's one of the main things I love about college basketball, checking out these different places around the country. Everyone has its own unique places. I mean, we went to Jacksonville on Thursday. It's like playing in a shoebox. I mean, I think it's it's 16-16. The walls are like cinder block. It hasn't been updated in the last 70 years. They don't have AC in there. It's it's really a special, (laughs) special place. And, I mean, I would have never been there if it wasn't for Queens. So, I mean, it's a lot of fun. We're just trying to get everything together right now. Uh, believe, I mean, we're one and four to start conference play. We had a really tough end to non-conference play, but we have a little chance here to hopefully get back over 500 with three out of the next four at home. Um, yeah, I mean, we got to win what we got to win. And, I mean, we've been good at home, so hopefully we can pick that up. Man, you already got the coach speak down. I love it. <laughs> I you gotta say. win, but you gotta win. You know, control the controllables, <laughs> all of that. You're hitting every nail on the head. I love it. <laughs> I try. Uh, but so I want to dive. So I'll let Bennett take it where he wants to go. But I want to. I want to start with App State. You had a front row seat to App State. They came to the Queen City to play the Royals earlier this season. Uh, we saw App State in person earlier. I mean, they're a long team. They're a big team. They block shots at an extremely high clip. They're they're scary good. Is App State the team that will dethrone JMU if JMU has a hope of making this NCAA tournament run that I think we've all talked incessantly about? Yeah, I mean, they already beat them once, and it, it, it was at JMU, and it pretty much was App State the whole game outside of that low run where James Madison kind of made it close and battled, but it felt like app state really had control for most of this game. We're going to see it on Saturday. Hopefully the Dukes can pick up a win, split it, go one-on-one on the season because that's really what they need. If they want to make that NCAA tournament, they have to continue winning out. They have to split with app state. It'd be really tough to lose both games to app state, have those three losses, but app state's just a physical tough team. It, they don't have the largest players, but every single one of their players is just a rock. <laughs> They're all rocks. They're super tough defensively. That's why you don't see one player really shine because they all have similar averages. But that defense is on a di- different level. They're 34th in adjusted defensive efficiency on Ken Palm right now. So, I, I mean, I know James Madison's been playing great defense. 
you know, their their offense has been great for the last couple of years under Coach Byington. But that defense is really coming into form. That's what's the difference maker this year. So hopefully they can combat that. They obviously have a better offense, GMU does. One and one. One and one is what they need to make the NCAA tournament because the rest of the Sunbelt really isn't that good. You really can't afford to lose any other games. I'm looking at their Kempom right now. The highest team they play the rest of the year is Arkansas State, who's 159. I didn't know Arkansas State was that good, to be completely honest. I don't even think they're that good. <laughs> that one seems, yeah, like borderline high for Arkansas State. Yeah. <laughs> Did you expect the Sun Belt to be a little deeper? I know this year, I think there were some people who were maybe excited about some teams outside of App State and JMU. Are you surprised that it's kind of just two right now? Yeah, I am. I mean, I thought Marshall would be a little bit better. They struggled heavily in non-conference outside of beating Queens, of course. Southern Miss. <laughs> I thought Southern Miss was going to maybe run it back. Yeah. They struggled in non-conference, but they're playing a little bit better now. But they still struggled quite a bit. South Alabama, they always do eh in non-conference and pick it up later in the season. So hopefully they're kind of creeping towards that way. ODU I thought would be a little bit better, but they have all the troubles. I hope Jeff Jones is doing well, but they're having all the troubles over there. Georgia State, I think, would be a sleeper to be in the top four. I know they had a good start to conference play, so maybe that's a bright side in the league. But, yeah, the league has just been really, really not that good this year, with the exception of App State and James Madison, or two of the better. I keep saying James Madison, not JMU. I feel so weird doing that. But <laughs> two of the better mid-major teams in college basketball, and just the rest of them are kind of eh. Is there any chance that one of those eh teams like can put anything together? And like, because at this point, it seems like you got quad one, quad two up. If we're talking at large, we're talking building out the resumes now, even for app to like build up a better seating for whoever gets the auto bid. It seems like it's just a bunch of quad four games and then you get one or two quad one or quad two games as it stands right now. Is there a chance for, you know, a Troy? I don't know what the injury status is with Andre Curbelo. I don't know if he's coming back this season, but can Southern Miss kind of find a way up? Or, or have you seen anything out of these Sunbelt teams that make you think, okay, there, there's there's a glint of hope? Yeah, I mean, Southern Miss would probably be the first one, but they just didn't have a good non-conference where, you know, maybe moves them into a quad two or a quad one win. I know there's absolutely no way to become a quad one win, but it'll be really tough for them to become a quad two win just because their best win in non-conference was really UAB. And, I mean, they didn't lose anyone. Why are we laughing at UAB? No, I'm, I'm laughing because if that's your best win, like that is yeah. a bad win. That is a bad win. They did have a good start to conference play. They have a big game at Charlotte tomorrow, but that's a bad win. They thought maybe Milwaukee would be a little bit better. They really didn't have bad losses in non-conference, but they did open conference play with a loss to Georgia Southern. Who, I mean, they just had a, they didn't win a game in non conference. And for some reason, they're up there towards the top of conference. They're four and three in yeah, conference. Yeah, what, what is that about? They're yeah. four and three in conference. So that is a great look for the Sun Belt. An 0 and 15 team is now sitting at four and whatever, or whatever they were coming into it. 0 and 11, I think. I don't even know. That Yeah, that shows exactly how this league's been this year. I, I, sucks. I, I it sucks. <laughs> I really think, you know, Southern Miss, Louisiana, I mean, uh, Bobby Marlin always does a great job over there. There's a chance if they win 
maybe they've already won three straight. They rattle off what two? They have six more until they play at App. They could get in the top 100 of the country. They made the NCAA tournament last year, so they had that behind their back too. But they could get in the top 100 of the country. That could sneak up into a oh they don't even they've already played JMU but yeah I I mean they lost to JMU at home so that could maybe turn into a quad one win retroactive there for the Dukes but I really think it comes down to Louisiana Southern Miss I really like Georgia State but I don't know if they become a quad one win as well because they're nine and nine on the season uh they're four and three in league play but it realistically it's going to come down to Louisiana and Southern Miss. Yeah. The Georgia Southern one is tough, right? I saw some, some Sunbelt fans trying to sort of reason with this on Twitter the other day where they're like, Hey, it actually says that the Eagles have turned it around nicely. <laughs> I think it's just a horrible look for the Sunbelt. I don't know if you can really skew it any other way. No, you can't. I think it's just, yeah. <laughs> I want you no, all nice talk. <laughs> That's bad. That is they're bad. Horrible. I don't understand it at all. They lost twice. To North Florida, they lost to Eastern Michigan, who's 330th in the country. Uh, they just – they looked horrible. They I don't understand. It's not good. <laughs> not good. We did uh, we did learn that the Dukes have one exciting non-conference game still left. You got the Sunbelt MAC Challenge. So they're going to host Akron on February 10th. What can you tell us about the Zips, who are uh, a perfect 6-0 in MAC play? They're 14-4. and on the year look like they have quite a nice little squad. Yeah, they do have a nice little squad. They have a really good squad. I watched them at Kent State on Friday, and they pretty much dominated their rivals, and that's a tough atmosphere because those Kent State students come out. A couple years ago, we saw damn near fight at the end of the game, but, you know, they bring back Ali Ali, who was at either, I believe he was at Butler the last two years. I always want to say Illinois, but he was at Butler the last two years. And ever since, you know, they allowed two-time transfers to start playing, they've been a completely different team because he wasn't able to play that first month and a half. I believe they've lost one game, and it was an overtime game since he's been able to play. He is probably going to be the player of the year in the league. I mean, he did in the past in the MAC, and he led Akron to their last NCAA tournament. But they have him. They have Enrique Freeman, who I didn't realize until a couple of weeks ago was a walk-on, and he's one of the best big men in the country. He's top five in the country in double doubles. So you can just walk on big men. You don't have to like wait five years <laughs> no. to get a good one through the door. What? Yeah, he just walked on and became like <laughs> one of the best big men in the country. I, I had absolutely no clue. I he's pl- been playing his first game. He put up like so he came off the bench in his first game. They said I think he had seventeen rebounds. It was his first game as a freshman walk on. And they're like, yeah, this guy's starting every game for us here on out. <laughs> so he's insane. They have Sammy Hunter from the Bahamas. He's a good player. They J- John Gross, he was at Illinois for quite a while. He's a very eccentric head coach. Uh, very, It's a very exciting brand of basketball. Really good team. If JMU is able to pull off that win, that's going to be one that's going to be on their resume because I full-heartedly think Akron's the best team in that league by a long shot. Obviously, they're the top two teams in the net rankings, and that's why they're playing each other in this challenge. But I think that could be one of the best wins on their resume. I could argue that Akron's maybe a better team than Michigan State. 
Oh, we well, like the that. Spartans, we like the sound of that. Well, the, yeah. way the Spartans have just kind of folded mm-hmm. since since that. You could argue that that loss to JMU sparked this kind of downfall of the Spartans. If Tom Izzo leaves <laughs> after this year, you could argue that the Duke started the downfall of Tom Izzo. I got to ask the, the player you mentioned from the Bahamas. Is he the best player from the Bahamas, or uh, I, I feel like Queens <laughs> might have the best player from the Bahamas in the nation? They do. Dayton Allberry puts up 25 points every game, just goes downhill right to the hoop. That kid is a bucket. I don't know. For all JMU fans listening to this, Dayton Albury, I highly recommend you watch his highlight reel from this season with Queens because I tweeted it watching, I think it was the Florida Gulf Coast game. He's the best player in the nation you have not seen play basketball. Yeah, I (laughs) – there's no one else who goes downhill like him. I mean, it's insane. It, like, if if everyone else around him would let him do it, he put up 50 points every game. It, yeah. it, like, it, like, North Florida, just their whole plan, every time he went, he had the ball, they're like, he's going downhill. He dropped 27 points. They knew exactly what he was going to do every time, and he dropped 27 points. If if he wasn't on the team, it'd be a completely different story. It's not a great story, but it would be a completely different story. <laughs> I would love if Terrence Edwards played like that um, instead of chucking up More eight threes. Yeah, yeah, just give me downhill Terrence. I, I, I could see maybe one or two threes from him a, a game and just have him go downhill, get to the line a bunch. I got to ask you, Nick, what can JMU – oh, this didn't go where I needed it to go. <laughs> <laughs> You're so frustrated with where the Dukes are. It's right on my mouth, JMU. Uh, so JMU, currently 20th in your uh, in your top 25, your mid-major top 25. I need to know – one, I need to know how to work street yards so this looks better. Um, but secondly <laughs> – uh, oh, I put it as an overlay. That's why. Yeah, um, yeah that's that's on me. Uh, Jamie, twentieth in your top twenty-five. I, I need to know how the Dukes are going to move up uh, and, and you know crack this top ten by the end of the season. Well, the first thing's beating App State and yeah. splitting it. I just I don't feel right putting them above App State when they beat them. Um, it, I mean, none of JMU's wins really, when you look at it at this point, have been that amazing outside of Michigan State because uh, there hasn't been another top 100 win there. Biggest win outside of that was Southern Illinois, who's 107th in the country. So they have to pick up some quality wins. They beat Akron, they jump them too. You know, if you if James Matt, if JMU is just able to win the rest of their games in conference play, there's no doubt in that Akron game. That but that Akron game just they don't even have to win that Akron game to be completely honest. If they win out in conference play, there's no doubt in my mind that they'll be an at-large team, and that's kind of what I look at with the top ten. I feel like the top ten are all at-large teams. St. Mary's would be on the bubble. Indiana State would be on the bubble. Princeton would probably be on the bubble. Grand Canyon would be on the bubble, and fifteen through twenty-five are just the best of the rest of mid-majors that have a chance really to make that jump. If I were to be completely honest, out of 15th or 25, JMU probably has the best chance because of that non-conference schedule and that win against Michigan State because none of these other teams really have as big as a win as they do. I know everyone's going to mention App State beating Auburn, but, I mean, that was at App State. JMU went on the road. That's still a quad one win winning at Michigan State. So, 
they have to win out. They have to win out in conference play to get in that top 10. I still think there's a really, really good chance, though, that if they lose in the conference title game, but they win out in Sunbelt play, that they'll be an at-large bid and they'll be a two-bid Sunbelt. Damn, that's what we love to hear. A I've terrible, got a, a terrible Sunbelt year ends in a two-bid Sunbelt. Mm-hmm. That'd be something. My question, too, Nick, is uh, which team in that top 25, uh, which fan base gets most mad about being considered a mid-major, and why is it Memphis? I hate it. <laughs> I'm blocked by Will GTG901. I still look at his tweets. He's going to clip this if he sees this. There's probably no way he's going to see it. He doesn't block me on my personal account, so I'll look at his tweets whenever they're losing just to like, get like a little smile. You know, he played at Jacksonville on Thursday, and it was a three-hour game, but I got a text message. I went on my phone. Like, Nick's going to be so pissed that he lost, but he's going to be so happy when he sees that Memphis blew a 20-point lead. Yeah, they blew a 20-point lead. I, I mean, I still think that they've got a great team, and they're probably better than FAU at this point in the season. But the coaching has always been a little bit questionable with Memphis. Penny, it looked like Penny was finally coming around, and, I mean, these two losses have just not been that good. I, I hate <laughs> Memphis fans in my mentions. It's so, so annoying. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize they were so defensive about uh, yeah. being abused mid-major until earlier this year when I saw your top 25, and Memphis fans were like, we're not we're not a mid-major. I was like, well, if the AAC team's you know, getting left out of that FBS Big 12 movement, Memphis, notably absent from, from being included. If they could, they probably publicly uh, crucify me. Like, <laughs> I don't – it's it's insane how serious they take it. They take it like it's – I don't even know. And they don't even have, like, the recent – like, in the last 10 to 15 years, they really no. haven't been relevant. No. They, the last time they were relevant was with Derrick Rose, and they want to say, like, they the, the one guy pulls up some random, like – budget thing i don't know who the guy the the like the budget <laughs> you know from. you've you know you ruffled some feathers when budget talk comes out yeah top 20 budget that doesn't mean they're making money <laughs> i don't even know who this guy that also is doesn't mean they're report. good yeah way to we're go sp- you have a big arena <laughs> we're spending money at an insane clip we spend more dollars per win than any other team in your top 25 Congrats. Like high point. High point's not a mid-major because they spend a bunch of money. That's the way that we're going with this. Yeah, the conference affiliation feels like maybe bigger than the budget there when we're talking mid-majors. That's pretty important. Yep, with the exception of Gonzaga. Yes, which they've earned it, right? They don't have to point (laughs) to the budget. They can point to the top five rankings. (laughs) Exactly. Are they ranked again? Did they get ranked again? They nope. fell out. Uh, yeah, oh, hey. What would it take for Gonzaga to fall back to mid-major status? That's the question. I'm Not play all these big-time games in non-conference, I guess. They, they, their non-conference schedule is just insane because they yeah. buy everyone. If they aren't buying everyone, it's a neutral site game. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, they just got to – I mean, Mark Few probably has to retire for that to happen because he's never leaving Gonzaga. So, he has to retire, and they need to be really bad for – three years if the dukes win a tournament game this year next year i'm gonna pop in your mentions and be like, <laughs> they're not a mid-major anymore <laughs> I, I wouldn't be shocked that would probably be the one of the next fan bases yeah i see gm you making a jump in the next couple years i've been saying it for a while 
they'll get mad. Fans will definitely find a way to be like, whoa, you'll get some budget replies from JV fans for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then we have a top FBS football program. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The Sunbelt is the best group of five team. Therefore, we are part of the, the six. We're part of the power six now. Or I guess yeah. what the power three, whatever it is in football. Just wait until you guys make the playoffs next year in football. That's when it's really going to start if that happens. And That's we're true. not a mid-major anymore if we make a if we make a damn playoff. Nope, mm-hmm. nope. But uh, anything else, Bennett? <laughs> no, that was that was great, Nick. Thank you for for joining us. I should have known coming in too that I didn't I didn't realize this that you and Jack I didn't piece it together until early on. This was going to become like half JMU, half Queens. <laughs> I yeah, we, we run into got, each other all the time now. Yeah, we could have gone even more in depth. I'll be there on Wednesday. Hopefully we get oh, back at not not to like pat myself on the back, but uh games I've attended, the Royals are two and zero. So that's huge. Let's make it three and zero. I need BJ McLaurin to go off, go go lights out from deep. Chris Ashby. Uh, trying to think who else. I'm try- who's the starting point guard? Uh, AJ AJ McKee. AJ, AJ McKee. He's so many baller. household names. Yeah, yep. as you all know. <laughs> I mean, there's also Malcolm uh, Malcolm Wilson. Yep, seven footer from Georgetown. Yep, that'd be great for JMU to get in the portal, but uh, apparently we don't like anyone higher than six nine. <laughs> yeah, what's that about? But not uh, Nick. Where can everyone find you and uh, keep up with all the great work you're doing? Yeah, you can follow me over on Twitter at mid under dash madness and at n lawrence and sports. Awesome, thank you so much, Nick. I'll see you Wednesday. Awesome, appreciate you guys. See you Wednesday, Jack. Dope, dope. We love Nick. Nick's my favorite. Because no one else has – he's the John Rothstein of mid-major basketball, but better than John Rothstein. Yeah, I don't have to be concerned. I can just be like, Jamie plays Akron in two weeks. What do you know about Akron? He's like, here's what I love about their walk-on forward. Who <laughs> <laughs> pulled down 17 rebounds in their first game, which is amazingly impressive. Um, all right, so where do you want to take this? Do you want to – anything else you want to touch on from this last weekend, or do you want to look ahead to this next weekend? I think we look ahead. All right, it's time for the Three Notched Weekly Preview presented by Three Notched. If you're in Harrisonburg, check out the Valley Collab House. This weekend, I guess more like midweek into the weekend, the Dukes hit the road. A Wednesday game against Old Dominion in Norfolk, Virginia, where they take on the 5-14 and 14 Monarchs with a 1-6 and six mark in Sunbelt play. Uh, Nick mentioned it, Jeff Jones. He's away from the team. He suffered a heart attack. Uh, when they were at the Honolulu Classic, I believe. And he's now being treated for prostate cancer. And so assistant coach Kieran Donahue has taken over as the interim. Uh, so they got that on Wednesday. And, and ODU has been kind of up and down. They they destroyed, what was it, Marshall. And then that's their only win. It's kind of like a weird blip on the radar. And then they got App State again on Saturday. ODU game, Johns Jenkins had 19 uh, the last time these two teams met in a non-conference game, mind you, about a month ago, uh, he had 19. Vashon Alette, Tyrone Williams, and Devin, Devin Caesar all had double digits. And they've all been the most potent offensive threats for ODU this season. This is, I feel like I say this matchup to watch at least once a week. ODU can't defend the three at a, at a good clip. They're 309 country defending the three. This has to be the game where the Duke's three-point shooting finds its rhythm. Yeah. ODU's obviously having a really tough year with the Jeff Jones stuff and, and some subpar um, play overall. That's a winnable game. That's one where, where Jamie's actually gone there already right in a non-conference game and won. 
on the road at ODU. So I don't hey, think like it, be... in, in pretty convincing fashion. Yeah. So similar environment. I think to be honest, it might even be a little less raucous than that one where JMU was undefeated and ranked and, and ODU hadn't quite uh, tailed off yet. So I'd expect this one to, to have some, some purple fans there. I think the Dukes will play well, bounce back um, from some of their, I guess, one shaky road performance so far in conference play. The one that's really concerning, right, is App State on Saturday. They've it's, got it, it. Is it a must win? I don't, in terms of like getting it at large. In terms of setting yourself up well for the end of the season, take that for as you will. I think you could lose it and still go on a huge run because the rest of the schedule is so manageable and, and maybe even still have a shot at the top seed. You might get the two seed in the Sun Belt. It feels kind of like a must win where if you can get it, um, obviously it's not like, you know, must no games are truly must wins, right? You, you lose it. Life goes on. But All right. One, I want to talk to you about what you said about Sean Clark earlier this year in your our Sun Belt weekly pick them. Those were must wins for him. The, I feel like for JMU, like you're having a great year. If they lose this game, they're still going to have a great year. Like it's, it's not like a dire, like type of situation here. You know, no one's losing their job. That's a good um, point. But if you want any chance of an at-large, if you want to keep building momentum, if you want to have a legit shot of being like, we're the best team in the Sun Belt, you can't go 0-2 against App when it's clearly you and App. Yeah. App 15 and four on the season, six and one in conference play. Last time these two teams met at the bank, Justin Abson had 12 points on six of nine shooting. I want you to take a wild guess at what his offensive rating was. 118. 157. I didn't know offensive ratings went up that high. That's impressive. How many blocks did he have? I they, I didn't I didn't see that a lot. I think he had at least four. Yeah, I know they blocked seven as a team. Let's see. I'll pull it up here real quick. Well, but he was... He was a game changer for them. Yeah. While you're doing that, it's, I also got to shout out uh, Miles Tate. So you got a little bit of the yin and the yang, the six nine forward in Absin, just demolishing anything inside the paint. Then Miles Tate uh, led all scores with 15, and like the six foot guard just decided to put the game on his back. Four blocks for Absin. Uh, App State won that game despite turning it over 23 times. So I, I think this is one, if the Dukes can continue to turn App State over, which I think is doable, but maybe they shot fake a little better. They have a better game plan. I also think a sneaky important thing here, they play Wednesday and then they play Saturday. So it's not a Thursday, Saturday. Two full days in between games to get the game plan through their heads, which I think has been a problem going from Thursday to Saturday. So an additional day there I think makes a big difference. I think the atmosphere is going to be one of the bigger road challenges they'll face all season, especially recently. Uh, but it's one I think the Dukes can win, and I think they'll they'll have a much better game plan and be more locked in given the fact that they've already lost to App State this year. Yeah, you mentioned it too. Uh, their, their, their plan of attack in that first game was, all right, let's – try and get it inside because we are one of the best interior offenses in the whole conference. But when you get it in there, don't just go up shot fake, get them off the ground, go into them, draw the foul or, or something along those lines. Instead, it was just driving floaters in the lane that got eaten up by Absin and his running mate. I, I forget his, the guy's name. I mean, I'll learn his name because he's going to be destroying us on, on Saturday probably. But like, you got to figure that out, and you have to be willing to drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick, because that was something that was noticeably absent against App State in this first game. 
also, and I don't I don't think this is like entirely true, maybe a bit of a reach here, but the game will be on ESPN two. So if you're talking about like making a national impression or legitimately putting yourself like in the mix for an at-large, winning like one of your what two nationally televised games this year, going two and oh in those and beating Michigan State and App State both on the road. Not bad if you're trying to build an at-large case. It's also a quad one game. Yep. Like, as of right now, this is their old, their last quad one game on their calendar. Akron could potentially move up. Louisiana, if they can kind of figure some things out, could potentially move up to that quad one spot. But as it stands right now, this is the last quad one opportunity you are going to get. And if you go 0-2 against the best team in your conference, like how you were saying, nationally televised game, you can be 2-0 and in nationally televised games. That can help kind of how the AP voting, it's all just kind of what have yeah, you done for me yeah. lately. Kind of the similar thing when it comes to picking these, these teams in the NCAA March Madness. But if all of a sudden you have lost to App State twice and they're your conference champion in this faux scenario – you potentially have lost to them three times. Why can't you beat the supposedly bet? Like you can't even. So it's a sneaky big game for both reasons. Huge week for the Dukes, obviously a couple of rivals and the one on Saturday, probably a tougher test, but an exciting test. It's it's going to be a, a fun weekend. I forgot where I'm going after this. Cause I, I didn't have the outline pulled up. Oh, pulled it up. Women's basketball. I want to touch on women's basketball a little bit. Um, I talked about it when you were gone, when you had left me, uh, but they continue to dominate the Sun Belt. McDaniel has found herself a yeah. rhythm. She, in her last five, I mentioned this earlier when you were gone, she scored 10 points or more in the last five after she had a goose egg against Arkansas State. In those five games, she's shooting 44%, 64%, 50%, 72%, and 33% respectively. Some really solid numbers. They're getting going a little bit. Having Bristow is kind of finding her rhythm. They look like a better team than they did earlier in the year, which is sort of par for the course when they're uh, healthy with Coach O. I think he's done a really, really good job with this team, with some of the recent teams. Um, kind of thrilled with the job he's done, I think, leading the women's program and building on what Kenny Brooks built. They find themselves again kind of positioned where they can win the league. I believe they are the best net team, but they're not going to play Toledo again. Um, I think the Mac challenge or whatever they did it where they didn't want to play again, I guess. So they're playing ball state, I believe on the road, which will still be a decent test, but they're, they're good. They're going to go into the conference tournament here in a month or so and have a legit chance of winning it because they have multiple scores. They have multiple ball handlers cause has been phenomenal down low. And I also think, and the defense is getting better, but they're still really skilled offensively. It's one of the more enjoyable JMU teams to watch um, in the last couple of years, I think. Yeah, after a non-conference slate where it was not enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Like, they, they've really turned it around. Would you say they're the best team in the Sun Belt right now to your eye test? That's a great question. I think they're up there. Um, I want to see the the Wednesday game against Marshall. Marshall's 7-0 and in league play right now, first in the conference. I think the... Uh, JMU App State men's game is probably overshadowing that a little in terms of a storyline. This might be the like the game of the week for JMU basketball in general. Playing Marshall at home Wednesday at 7. Hopefully they can draw a decent turnout. I thought they'd have a bigger turnout for the ODU game, to be honest. The doubleheader there, maybe that 
had some people who are only going to the men's game, but I think they reported like 2,600. I thought they'd be closer to like three or 4,000 to be honest with you. So I was, I was a little bummed about that, but if, if you're in Harrisonburg, they play at home Saturday against app state four o'clock, you could watch that in person, then get back and still watch JMU play app state in men's on your TV later. And then the Marshall game Wednesday is massive, huge games, huge games. Should be fun. Should be fun down the stretch here for women's basketball. And I think what's what's also super interesting is they've got a crazy hard stretch similar uh, to the men's team. Their last four games are on the road as well. I don't know if they're having like choices that weekend or something. If they're like using the arena, that was they only- might that might be. I was going to say, why would you have both of your teams away for four games to finish the year? Very odd. So they've only got five home games left, and they've got I think seven or eight on the road. Uh, to finish, I think it's seven. That's a lot. It's going to be tough. You're playing a good, um, good MAC team in in Muncie, right? You never want to go to Muncie in February. That's a big Muncie. Challenge. So they've got some tough ones coming up. I think it'll be fun to to watch them the rest of the way. And two of their next four are against Marshall, seven and zero in the Sun Belt. Marshall, you've got them uh, on the twenty fourth here, which is Wednesday, and then you have them on February third on the road. So it's a massive stretch for the women's team. I think they're playing well, doing some nice things, but a, a huge stretch here to see if they're truly the best of the best or if they're maybe like third best in the belt. It's going to be a fun. I'm, I'm really excited for this final stretch. I am too. And and O'Regan is sneaky killed the portal here the last couple of years. Yeah. Evan Burstow, I mean, his – you don't have it in news or snooze. His quote where he's like, this isn't even like – near as good as she's going to be and it's like oh she just dropped 20 on like really efficient shooting and smart decision making and she's already shown that like when she steps foot on the court she is a difference maker and everyone else plays better and you're telling me there's another gear potentially another two gears for her to go to when he said that quote i was like oh wow all right she can be good and she has another year of eligibility after this right I think this is her last. I think she's a grad transfer. Okay. I think Bristow's okay. out, but Kozlova was a transfer that they added. Olivia Mullins is starting to play pretty well. Carol Miller from Virginia has done some nice things. Ashanti Barnes. Ashanti Barnes. Yes, that's a good one. And I think that was a, a big game for, for them to beat ODU for Barnes to her starter yeah. career there. I think that probably felt pretty good. Yeah. Let me uh, ask you brings... a couple questions real quick. Okay. Okay. This is new. All right. Do you think... <laughs> Both teams right now, January 22nd, men's and women's, are they both in the NCAA tournament come March? Yes. Yes. You think they're both winning the Sun Belt? I think, should I get real hot take or do I want to be able to go back and, and clip this to put it on social and be like, I was right? Do both. If you do both, you can clip one. Yeah, I cover both. No, I think team. they, I do think in my heart of hearts, they both win the uh, Sun Belt title. I think they both go on a run and they, and they do what they need to do. They punch their tickets by getting the automatic bid. With that being said, would not be shocked if the women do that and the men's get an at-large. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Here's another question for you. Who wins an NCAA tournament game first, the men's program or the women's program? Men's program. Do you think they do it this year? I think they do it within the next three. And, and, I think it is really difficult to go on the road and, and pull out an upset in women's basketball. I also don't see a team that has that capability coming up the pipe for women's basketball, 
where men's, they play great defense if they can continue this run of good defense. And if they can figure out their shooting, all of a sudden you have a three and D team. If they get hot, they can just give a five seed all they can handle. I, I like the odds. I think the women could be scary next year with some of their returners. Okay. Keep an eye on them. McDaniel's slated to come back. Hazel apparently is going to come back and then be a grad assistant. So she's like real planned out with Coach Joe. They've gone deep in the weeds here. I think they could be dangerous. Keep keep an eye on them. As as everyone knows, a grad assistant does a lot for points. No, I just thought that was interesting that she. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, because I think she could have technically like not played next year. She'll probably have a degree by then, but she's going to play because then she wants to coach and she wants to be on. Oh, so Hazel will play next year. Yeah, so she's playing and next And then year. be a grad right, Yes, that's what the plan is like that she has her – she's going to play through this year and next year. Like she's got like her five-year plan in place. I don't know I what see. to do tomorrow for dinner. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Can't wait for that though. Big week for basketball, both teams. We can almost shut up entirely about football. We're not quite there, but almost. I don't know if we ever will. Are there yeah, any other questions you got? Will. I think those are my main questions. I'm excited for the rest of the basketball season. I think the women's team's going going under the radar this year, but they got a nice group that's that's peaking. I, I think they started rough. And I think that had some people, including myself, kind of go out on them early. And now they're sucking me back in slowly but surely. But if they beat Marshall, I'm I'm all the way back in. Hopefully they get a nice crowd for that one. All right, that brings us to News or Snooze presented by Christopher William Jewelers. Bennett will give me three quotes. I'll say if they're newsworthy or snooze-worthy. You ready? Yeah, I thought this one was funny. This was Xavier Brown talking about his first career start. He said that his veteran teammates, here's his quote, they kind of realized I was going to be nervous. I couldn't sleep last night. Thoughts on Xavier Brown? I know he's always talking about like, hey, anything I can do for the team, I'll do. But a start still means a little bit more. Yeah, that, that was cool. Newsworthy. Good for him to break into that starting lineup. Uh, Michael Green, the thirds, his recent slump and essentially getting benched at the end of the ULM game on Thursday, or I guess not benched, but sat down. And Xavier Brown took advantage of that time. He took advantage of it against App State as well. And he's he's really, really evolved since conference play has started. I remember non-conference play, I'll be straight up. Xavier Brown would touch the ball and I'd be like, get out of his hands, pass it. Why is he touching the ball? Because there were points where he would literally touch it. The offense, it was a black hole. It was where the offense would go to die and he would, and he'd put up a a contested three, an ill-advised shot. But since conference play has started, his defensive play has, has taken a huge step forward. He was always like a good, like energizer bunny type of player. But now he's like a very good lockdown defender with quick hands who can get steals and force turnovers. And he's making the right plays and he's shooting it really well from three. So I love his 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 growth. I think that is a newsworthy quote because I think he's going to be a longtime starter for JMU. And quite coachable. I think it was Corey Spector in one of the recent games this last week. Took a couple first half threes that I think the coaches didn't like. And Spector mentioned the coaches in the second half, told him to go in the paint. Had a couple looks he probably could have pulled from three, did not, and then drove into the lane. So he, he clearly listens to uh, what he's being told, which is a big positive for a young player. I believe his dad is a coach too in the yes. uh, in the seven five seven area. Yeah, so uh, he's been coached before. He 
he's he seems like a great player that I think fans are going to love, and hopefully he can stay around for a long time. Yeah. All right, next coach from Sean O'Regan, the women's basketball. Next coach. Did I say coach? <laughs> That's tough. What well, is next coach? Um, but also next quote. Sean O'Regan, Jamie women's basketball head coach or head quote. He said that Peyton McDaniel has an aura of I'm the best player on the floor type of mentality, and it's fun to watch. Newsworthy. I'll also say Peyton McDaniel must have read my texts where I was like, I don't like Peyton McDaniel. I feel like she's in a slump because ever since then, she has just like erupted to be one of the best players in the Sun Belt the last five games. She didn't like early in the year look like she had the same level of confidence that she had like last year either. So for him to say that she's starting to be like, I'm the best scorer here is huge. I think it's Bristow because Peyton McDaniel is a deadly catch and shoot player, but she can't really, and and this isn't a knock. It's just not her game. She doesn't take it off the dribble and drive to the paint. She's a spot up shooter who is electric at doing that. And when Bristow wasn't on the floor, I, I don't know if there was necessarily a facilitator that could really help her get those catch and shoot opportunities like Kiki was a year ago. But now that Bristow is on the field, on the court, I think it changes a lot of things. And I think Peyton McDaniel can then step into that role and become the best player on the court. Yeah. If you can give her a little separation for a catch and shoot, she's one of the, one of the better shooters, if not the best in the conference. All right. Last quote. We've been talking about Sean O'Regan and sort of what he's been going through here. Obviously some tough stuff. (laughs) Uh, There are a lot of people that, that maybe back in the day were hating on him. So I love this one. You think about the dark times in 2021, a lot of people calling for his head. A lot of people in this room calling for his head. I thought that was a, a big time quote. It was from Jared is that, Goff. Is that Dan Jared Campbell, Goff? Yeah, I knew about it. Dan Campbell, but you could also use it. Anyone talking about Jack and Sean O'Regan, who's really flipped flipped the script. Yeah, he's made me a believer. I apologize. What about Dan Campbell? I was never an anti Dan Campbell. You were an anti Dan Campbell guy. Never an anti Dan Campbell guy. There was a. I could go and find the text where you were like, "I'm not sure about this guy." Earlier this year, when I realized the Lions were going to be good, I went back and I deleted a previous <laughs> Dan Campbell tweet that I had. Did you really? <laughs> it was last Thanksgiving. He mismanaged the clocks so badly, and I was so mad. I was like, "This guy has no <laughs> idea what he's doing. He's in over his head. He's capped their ceiling." And then when I like looked at their roster and how they drafted and like how they were playing, I was like. I got to get this off the internet. <laughs> this guy's a dog. And later me was right. <laughs> Hindsight is in fact 2020. That's right. Live on the air. Never mind. I thought Harry O'Kelly was responding to you saying Ethan Racky makes that field goal. And he responded no, but he was responding to someone else asking another question. I do. Ask- do you think Racky makes? That in Buffalo, whatever it was, 43, 44 yards. I think windy. he has more success than a former JMU alumni kicker for the Buffalo Bills. I think Racky puts it in and he's just humble about it. Goes back to the bench and, and doesn't even doesn't even celebrate. I think Camden Wise also hits that. Camden Wise hits that. I think Harry O'Kelly in the right situation hits that. Mm. I don't know about that one. All right. Drop so me. that was a great segue because uh, Harry O'Kelly, former JMU football player, Jamie football, I believe, since the last time we recorded the podcast, they officially announced their staff. We we talked about it. We wrote up about it. We kind of broke it all down over on jmusportsnews.com. Bennett covered it extensively. Really, the only interesting one was the running backs coach because it wasn't reported anywhere. That's exactly right. 
and that's a name that I have pulled up right now in, in front of me. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't prepared for football. <laughs> no, but yes, we had mentioned the the staff. Um, I think I'm not going to buy any of the Jamie fan stuff where they're like, we've upgraded all these positions in the portal. We've upgraded all these staff things. I do think they've got good players in the portal, and I think the coaching staff, you can make maybe a bigger argument. But at running back, it's David Sims Jr. who played at Georgia Tech. Uh, he spent the last three years at the running backs coach at Penn, used to coach at Furman, um, recruited Southern States a lot. So he should be a, a nice recruiting addition played. I think he was in Georgia tech when they were running like Paul Johnson, triple option stuff. So a uh, physical runner knows what he's doing. Should be a, a nice coach. I like their staff. I'm really excited to have a running back as our running backs coach. Yeah. The John Miller one was interesting, right? Cause he had the, I guess started as a running back at JMU, but really was mostly a receiver for them. Yeah, and the running backs ran like they were receivers. That's yeah, that's something you were pretty upset about. The Georgia Tech, I can confirm they did they did not do that when they're running triple option. Yes, exactly. But yeah, a good coaching staff overall. People have said that you know we're too negative and things of that sort. I don't know if this is. I'm going to hold judgment like Bennett until I say that I think this is a a wholeheartedly better staff. I think it is a good staff. I don't know if it's going to be better. They had a great staff. Like recently. I, I know it all left a sour taste in our mouth the way they all left, but like Pat Kuntz took an FCS defensive line and made them the most sack heavy defensive line for two years in a row. You don't you don't do that with bad coaching. You know what if I mean? They were, <laughs> if they were still all on staff and Jamie returned like a lot of its guys who were slated to return fans would be saying that they were the college football playoff favorite out of the group of five with the best coaching staff in the group of five. Yes. So it's, I agree. It's hard to replace that. I think it's really hard to replace it. I will say, I think they did upgrade a few positions, most notably on the offensive side through the portal. Um, I think the running back room is much, much better. I'm very interested to see how the wide receiver shakes out, but they just added a UConn transfer, that could be a potential step forward. We talked with Phoenix Sproles last week. You can find that uh, interview over on our YouTube, JMU Sports News. He's high on that whole group, Taji Hudson, uh, Dollison. So I think there's some some good things coming. What, what was the UConn guy's name? Cam? Cam Ross. Cam Ross. He, he should be a good – he should be a very good receiver if he stays healthy. Good player, was injured in 21 and 22, 2020, didn't play. I don't think UConn played in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like they just didn't play in the COVID year, basketball school. Uh, but 2019, he was great. 2023, he was really good. When he's healthy, he's a starter caliber receiver, did some nice things. He had four catches for 91 yards, including a 44-yard catch against JMU in November. So they they finally helped that room a little bit. Um, defensive backs. Okay, don't get ahead of yourself. I want to ask you, Jamie Football, offensive expectations for this upcoming year. You, you can revise this take. You can revise his opinion as many times as you want before kickoff against Charlotte. But as of right now, after everything that's happened, I think the dust has essentially settled on the transfer portal. How are you feeling? They should be a top three scoring offense in the Sun Belt. I like it. I, th I don't love Bob Chesney. I like the coaching staff. I got a lot of respect for JMU fans. 
I also don't think JMU fans are like rational, reasonable people. And I think the expectation, like if they go under nine wins, I think the people are going to be pissed. Well, do you expect them to get to nine wins? Yeah. It, so I'm, you, yeah. I, I think that's like a fair-ish expectation, but like eight and four wouldn't be bad given that they're losing like, according to their PowerPoint slides, 96% of their production, right? That's what they're saying in meetings. But they also replace with a ton. I don't know. If you're not com- competing for a Sunbelt title and like kind of in the mix for that playoff spot, I think fans are going to be upset because of the standard that Signetti and his staff left there. And the fact that they have upgraded running back should be similarly good at offensive line. You can make an argument they're better at quarterback with Morris. You could. He's got a, I would say Dylan Morris had more success at his previous stops than Jordan McLeod did. Yes. And I also think he may fit into Dean Kennedy and Bob Chesney's offensive plan a lot better. He also may be just like a better decision maker. So yeah, you could argue that Dylan Morris is going to be a better quarterback than Jordan McLeod. You should have a running game that makes sense. You should be able to get play action off that in a way that's yeah, you successful. Should. If you can get enough out of the receivers. Which I'm really high on the receivers. You're a big Dollison guy. I'm a big Dollison guy. Taji Hudson was starting over Elijah Surratt and then had like a weird, I think he had a foot injury or something along those yeah. lines. Like at the tail end of camp, that kind of impacted the start. And then Surratt stepped up and became this baller and it took the job away from Taji Hudson, but Hudson was wide receiver too to start this last year. And he should within another year of being a wide receiver, the the quarterback turned wide receiver should be even better this next year. Dollison just get it into his hands. Yamir Knight is a solid slot receiver. And with Cam Ross, everyone I think then slots better into what role they can fit in. I'm really high on this wide receiver group. And I think they fit into what Dylan Morris does really well. I mean, Dylan Morris went from throwing to Kate Otten and Roma Dunze, and he's going to be throwing to Cam Ross and Taji Hudson. I don't see a fall off there. So do you think, what are, what are your expectations for the offense? Are we talking the best scoring offense in the summer? I think they're going to be the best offense that we've seen in the FBS era for JMU. Okay, well, then you got to be thinking playoff. Are you thinking playoff? I think nine wins is the 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 bottom of what we should expect. Here's the other thing that becomes Look, so fascinating. Their, their non-conference is Charlotte, Gardner-Webb, UNC, and Ball State. That, you should good th- you should go at least 3-1, and 4-0 and oh in those games. And then you got two bad West opponents. Yeah. So you're sitting there at five or six wins before you even go into the East. And you know there's going to be two or three bad East teams. So then you move to – you should get nine wins as your bro- – like – that should be the expectation. I don't think it's unreasonable at all to want nine wins and use that as like, if we don't hit this mark, even with all of the turnover, JMU's used to the portal. This isn't like a new world for the Dukes. So I think nine wins, if, if they don't hit that, you got to be upset. Let me know if you think this hot take is too strong. I think that whoever gets out of the group of five into the playoff will be the 12 seed. I don't think they'll be any better than the 12. And I don't think they have any chance of winning a road playoff game against a Power 5 team. I don't think that's a hot take. Jesus. Oh, no. Fire alarm. I got to step out for the fire alarm. Uh, do you want me to end this stream? Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Okay. For Bennett Conlon, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. <laughs> this is the Jamie Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.